0: Well, good morning, everyone, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas! I am going to give y'all a gift for real at the end of the service. I'll just set it here as a reminder, and if I forget, point to the gift. Okay, say RG. Don't forget about the gift. Hey, I want to say Merry Christmas to everyone. I've already done that. I want to. I never do this, but I want to give a shout out to Larry Johnson. Larry's been sick. Uh, he's uh, at home. He's missed a few weeks. He never misses. He and Marcia Johnson always sit down front. Love these guys. Larry's going to listen online uh, sometime this week, probably later today, and then fall asleep after this introduction. But we love Larry and hope he gets back uh, feeling well and back with us. I'm sure he will by next Sunday or in the new year. And I don't feel well myself. Can you hear it a little bit? I've ebbed and flowed this week, haven't felt well. And late last night and early this morning, I was feeling worse. And I thought in my bed chambers, I thought, I'm going to text one of these staff guys and email them my notes and get them to preach the Christmas Eve, Eve service. And then I already see Krista Nick's wife, shaking her head. And I thought, you know, no staff guy is going to answer my call or text at 2 or 4 a.m. No way, right? There's just no way they're going to do that. So you guys pray for me. I'll do the best that I can up here. Hope it'll be a good morning. And uh, I'll give you that gift at the end of the message. You guys all know, I, I know that you know about Home Depot, and I know that you know about Office Depot, but do you know about Destruction Depot? Now, any guesses about Destruction Depot? Where does your mind go? Because Home Depot, you go to get goods for the house, office, you're going to get supplies for work, but what about Destruction Depot? Any guesses? There, yes, there is. Correct answer on the front row, Joe still in my thunder. There's a man named Matt Crawford, and he lives in Brighton, Michigan. And he started a business called Destruction Depot. And it is, in his words, a place for paying customers to come and vent their emotions in a safe, constructive atmosphere. And so customers arrive and they pick up some tool of destruction Typically, the tools of destruction. I was reading about this this week in the USA Today article. The tools of destruction include a hammer hammer, a sledgehammer, a golf club, a baseball bat, a crowbar. And then there are everyday objects for annihilation. Televisions, dishes, glasses, appliances, copy printers, television monitors, laptops, and the like. And you, you go in, you pay, and you get protective gear to wear headgear all the way down to your toes and you enter into, with your chosen tool of destruction, you enter into a padded room, a rage room, they call it, and you have the opportunity for an hour uh, at your expense to let out your rage and to smash things into smithereens. I I was reading from the website. The article itself led me to the website, and I was reading, and the website is so enticing. It asks a series of questions for the would-be hopeful consumer. Job got you down? Boss riding your... Backside, granny leave you out of the will, husband lazy, wife nagging you, partner cheated on you, are you put out by all the road rage or endless road construction or the, the morons in traffic, well then come to Destruction Depot and you have an opportunity to relieve your stress and to let out your rage at Destruction Depot. Choose one of your rage rooms and just smash away. Now here's what's so fascinating. Would you guess who is the most common customer? What demographic? 80% in Brighton, Michigan, 80% of the customers in the destruction room are, destruction depot, are women. Does that surprise anybody but me? Okay, 80% are women. Now, they cater to corporate events, to birthday parties, and to ladies' nights out. And one woman in the article, Julie Fowler, uh, she particularly enjoyed taking a crowbar to a porcelain sink and smashing it into smithereens. And she said, we get to break things and we don't have to clean it up. Okay, so the question, the question this morning, though, for real is why is there a destruction depot? Why are there rage rooms? And why are they growing in importance? We're in a series called The Wonder, The Wonder of Christmas. And we have looked at John chapter 1. We're doing that today. So if you have a Bible and you're so inclined, I would love for you if you brought one to to turn to John chapter 1 or the Pew Bible in front of you, John chapter 1. And we have looked at this great Uh, Introductory gospel narrative. John wrote his later than Matthew, Mark, Luke. But in this narrative, we see the wonder of the word. We see the wonder of the light uh, and the wonder of hope uh, found in the reality of grace. We looked at John 1, the very beginning, and John begins with what? In the beginning, Was the Word, capital W. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we looked at the power, the wonder of the Word. In week two, we looked at the wonder of the light. In Him was life. Remember this? And in this life was the light of all mankind. And this light shined. It shone in the darkness. And the darkness, I love this, my favorite part, and the darkness was not able to overcome it. And we looked last week about how the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. He was full of grace and truth. Some of you got a little too much grace. You're soft and easy. Some of you got too much truth. You hurt my feelings. But Jesus was all grace and He was all truth. He was full of it. God, man, in flesh dwelt among us. And we said last week, we looked at the beautiful expression from John, I believe, 1.14, where it says, "We uh, far from His fullness we have received grace upon Grace, what a beautiful expression. And I said to you last week that grace cannot be earned. It has got to be opened. And that's very difficult for all of us. In fact, it's counterintuitive to human nature. We think we got to work for it. We think we got to work it. We think we got to strive and strain and, and earn our way. But the gospel is so counterintuitive. It's like water skiing. You guys ever water skiing? If the first time you water skiing, you tried to get up out of the water. And what did everybody in the boat say when you were water skiing? They said, yes, thank you very much, because I forgot. Let the boat pull you up. And that seems so counterintuitive, right? You think, I got to lean up. I got to lean forward. But what's going to happen if you sit up or lean forward? You're going over the skis and you'll be the laughing stock of all your friends dry in the boat. So the idea there is let the boat pull you up. Up And so it is. That's a message of grace. It's someone else entering into our world in the midst of our sin, pain, and brokenness and pulling us up. And that is the gift of grace. It's not earned. It's opened. This morning, I want us to look at John chapter 1 and we'll look at verse 29. It's so good. So rich. The next day, he, and quickly I'll tell you, he is John the Baptist. Don't be confused. There's John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, one of his closest friends, the writer of John and 1st and 2nd and 3rd John and when he was exiled at the end of his life on the island of Patmos he gave us revelation but here John talks about in his account of Jesus he talks about John the Baptist and the next day John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world herein lies the heart of our, Christ, of our Christmas message and why Why is this phrase so significant? Who takes away the sin of the world? Now, did you guys come with somebody today, family or friend? Look at them. And that's probably somebody you would like to take their sin away, right? They got The person next to you has got some sin and you wish you could take it away. What is so significant about this phrase? Who takes away the sin of the world? John would later, as he records the teachings of the master teacher our Savior, our Lord Jesus, He says this about what Jesus taught. Everyone, that's you and that's me, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. John 8, 31. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You see, sometimes, sometimes I can be angry. Sometimes I can be bitter. Sometimes I can be vain. Sometimes I can be self-centered and I can be stubborn. Sometimes I can be passive aggressive. I can let anger, uh, rage get the best of me. Sometimes I can say hurtful things. And I can use self-deception to get me out of trouble or to elevate my image. All of us who sin are slaves. If we practice sin, we're a slave to sin. Now that's a funny word. It just means sin. Like some of you are lawyers, right? And you, you tell people you practice law. Well, what do you mean you practice law? Are you a lawyer? It's the same idea. If you practice sin, you sin. And it's every one of us. Don't you agree that sometimes you can be grumpy, grouchy, and you can complain, and you can be judgmental, you can look down on others, and sin, it can get the best of you. We talked, when we talked uh, week two about the wonder of light, we said that it's part of human nature, and Jesus taught this, Is my own words, kind of a spin on it, but Jesus taught that it's human nature to to profess light, but to prefer darkness. And he came to help us remedy that. He came as the answer and the antidote to what pulls us down. In Romans chapter 3, it teaches us that sin affects every one of us. In Romans 1, it says it affects every part of us. It talks about the vain imaginations. It talks about the darkness that defiles our mind and our spirit, our soul that pulls us down uh, even to the body. It affects every one of us, uh, every part of us. In Romans 5, it teaches us that we inherit a sin nature and we owe a sin debt. Now that's all theological treatises and that's good stuff that that I learned in seminary and some of you know those are important doctrines. But we get to Romans 7 and we see something that we can all, that rings true for all of us. A sin struggler said this, there are things that I want to do and I don't do them. And there are things I don't want to do and I do those very things. In fact, his conclusion, not his final conclusion, but the pain that was rolling around in him, he said, I am a wretched man. The things that I want to do, I don't do those things. It can be true of you, can't it? I'm not going to eat that the next day. What are you doing? You're eating that. I'm not going to yell at the kids. And what are you doing? You've raised it several decibel levels as you shout thundersome instructions at those small little creatures God gave you. You say to yourself, you make a vow a resolution. I am not going to tell her that she's just like her mother. And a couple of days later, the phrase comes out. She hears, you are just like your mother. And those words came from you. You say, I'm not going to drink this, and you drink it. You say, I'm not going to do this, and you do it. You say, I'm not going to watch this obsessively, but you watch it obsessively. You say, I'm not going to worry. I'm going to transfer my care to God because he cares for me. But you find yourself not praying and not transferring that care and worrying, and your mind is trapped in this endless loop, and energy is drained from you. I am doing the things that I said I'm not going to do. And Jesus gave this promise that everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You see, the people who love you most aren't just going to flatter you. Do you believe that? Maybe if you're a leader, be careful that you don't just have yes people around you. I think we're doing pretty good with that at Fondren Church, okay? But you don't want to have just yes people around you. You want to have people that can see things from different angles and speak in. And that's what truth does. Remember, Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. And that is a hard truth that we have to come to terms with. And it's fun, whimsical to think about Destruction Depot, about rage rooms becoming all the rage Where we have to get out what's inside of us and smash something to pieces. But it's no longer playful or fun or whimsical when we look at the world in which we live in. Y'all, this was brought to my attention: an actual Christmas wish from a real child of what they want for Christmas. Things I want. In my family, I want food and water. Don't hit on me. A house with running water and lights. I want love. Mom and dad don't fight. I want no drugs. Don't kill my pets. Help with school. Nice clean clothes. No lice, no bug in house. Clean house, clean bed with covers. Don't sell my toys. Treated fair. Don't get drunk. TV in-house, let me keep my games, school stuff, nice shoes, my own comb, soap, nice house, safe, heater, air conditioner, coat, toothbrush. You see, when sin has its way, when it rages in us, marriages end, families are torn apart. Children become the collateral damage. Reputations get ruined. Careers are sabotaged. And the demolition destruction depot is not so funny or whimsical anymore. And sin is this reality. And John is saying to us, the wonder of Christmas is the wonder of life itself. Behold, there is a man, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And why is it so important to have a Savior who takes away the sin of the world? Because everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. But Jesus gives us this great promise as we round toward home. And it's also in John chapter 8. If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Can anybody say amen to that today? Has anybody in the room, anybody among us, I mean, you know, I don't want to change the culture of our church in one sermon, right? But can you testify? Can anybody testify that today? Can anybody say, amen, he's freeing me up. He's changing my life. I'm moving more out of darkness into the light and shame and guilt are becoming not something that cripples me and pulls me down always, but it releases me. If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. There came a man and this man had a strange power. To help people get unstuck. An adulterous woman who was weighed down with the shame of guilt with multiple affairs. A tax collector named Zacchaeus who was stuck in greed more and more and more. A religious man named Nicodemus who was blinded by his own self righteous judgmentalism. Disciples in a boat paralyzed by fear. A Pharisee named Saul who was just helpless in the face of the rage within him. And story after story from the pages of the best-selling book of all time of people who found this freedom. My wife got on to me not long ago. She said, you know, Robert, sometimes when you're preaching uh, too often, you let our church know that you get uh, angry emails. And so I'm letting you know that I also get a lot of joyful emails, okay? So I'm I'm being obedient to my wife. Always a good thing. But look, I I get a front row seat into hearing and seeing the freedom that God is doing, what the gospel does, and how it brings us into freedom. There was a man who came who had a strange power to help people get unstuck. I know a young lady, uh, not young anymore, like me. We joined staff of Campus Crusade for Christ together. They call it crew now. We joined years and years ago together out in California. She still lives with her family out there. And she's been a teacher at a local Christian school for a, for a bunch of years. And she was telling me the story recently of teaching our um, six-year-old class. And there was uh, this particular day when they were reenacting, under her leadership, they were reenacting the story of creation. And she had a little six-year-old named Danny who was to climb the ladder and shine a light down on all the other kids as they were doing their part. And through the flashlight, he was to utter the words, let there be lights. In other words, he was there to represent God. And as my friend was, Miss Boyd was getting the kids situated. They were doing uh, little kid things in creation, like the creepy, crawly thing, swimming and acting stuff out down below. And my friend, Miss Boyd, the teacher, she felt a little tug on her pants leg. And it was Danny. And Danny said to her, he said, look, y'all need to get someone else to play God today. I'm just not feeling that way. And here's what I know. Here's what I know. I know a lot of smart people who never get down off the ladder. Who won't follow promptings and longings and impulses and cravings to the heart, to the throne of their creator. Who won't come to terms with their limitations, sometimes before it's too late. Let your longings lead you. To this one, this son of God who can set you free and let your limitations do the same thing. A little while ago, I don't want to tell you how recent, but I got trapped in my head. Does this ever happen to some of you? I mean, I really got trapped up here and there was energy just being drained from me. And emotionally, I just felt thin and flat and exhausted. And my mind was on this loop where uh, thoughts and fears that that prior to this I could easily dismiss and walk in faith. It just lingered and I felt this stuckness in my own life. But it was this very pain, these very head games, this very brain being locked that caused me to get down off the ladder and to realize I can't play God I'm not the one shining the light, declaring the first element of creation to other people below me. I have to humble myself and realize I need the light. I am limited and I'm stuck. I asked all of you this morning, what could be your stuckness? It could be a job that you feel slighted in. It could be a broken family that brings pain. It could be a past choice that still chokes and binds you. What? What is your stuckness? The sin that enslaves you? What traps you? In Luke's account of the gospel, one that's preached at most churches of this weekend that we've of course preached before. In Luke chapter 2 it says this, that you will find a sign and it it says what you will find. It says that you will find, if we could put that up, a baby. A baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. keep it up if you would. You know this. This is the story of Christmas. And I remember a couple of years ago when I had an outside Christmas speaking engagement. And I was thinking, as speakers do when you're bringing truth and you want to you do well. And I was thinking, well, how could I bring this story In a fresh way. And I remember thinking about this. The baby wrapped in clothes. That's what we do, right? It's what we do with little babies. We wrap them up. In fact, Jesus, you know, was a Jewish carpenter. Everyone's clued in on that. And In Jewish culture, I'm going to read from Ezekiel 16 and verse 4. As for your birth, now we won't get into this, but this is, it's... uh, Jerusalem, when she was being uh, unfaithful, being uh, metaphorically speaking, adulterous. And it says in Ezekiel 16, 4, as for your birth, your umbilical cord wasn't cut on the day you were born, and you weren't washed clean with water, you were not rubbed with salt, or wrapped in clothes. You see, to be unswaddled in Jesus' day, much as in ours, to be unswaddled is to be abandoned. It's to be uncared for. And here, is this beautiful picture of a baby despite the odds, despite what was challenging around him. He was wrapped in clothes. And he was lying in a manger. Susan and I joined our friends, the Galloways, and we got to spend a couple of weeks, almost two weeks, back in February in the Middle East, in Israel. And on one day, we took an excursion to Bethlehem. And it is a beautiful city not far from Jerusalem, and we were looking at a restaurant and we were looking out over the hillside in Bethlehem. A baby born. And it ruined the moment for me when we looked across the street and saw a KFC. Terrible. And I thought, oh, the commercialization of Christmas. But here, this story that most of us are familiar with, this baby wrapped in clothes. And here's the thought that God gave me not so long ago. This was not just a baby wrapped. This was God entering into my boundedness, limiting himself, constricting his world, restricting his life in time and space and entering in to our world, a god man, a savior man, sympathetic understanding of our human limitations and the Jesus who taught us that everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin the Jesus who modeled for us freedom that if you are set free in the son you are free indeed was born a baby and this picture of what can happen to us in the Psalms look at Psalm 91 on the screen real quick in Psalm 91 3 there's this vivid vivid um, Description. Surely he will save you from the fouler snare and from the deadly pestilence. In other words, there's a bird trap. There's a bird trap, and like a bird being trapped. Like some of you are hunters. And it's so much so much better to be the hunter than the hunted. And there's a pathetic creature trapped. And that's the vivid imagery the psalmist is using. But look what he says in the very next verse. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. In other words, God becomes the bird. God enters into the trap that was set for us in order to free us. Jesus, we learn later in Luke 2, this baby that was wrapped. We learned that he would grow in stature and wisdom and favor with God and man. That's kind of a fancy poetic way of saying that Jesus grew emotionally, physically, spiritually, and mentally. This baby became a boy. This boy became a man. And in the life, in his earthly life, at his greatest ordeal, John will tell us later in chapter 18. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. In other words, they wrapped him tightly. And later in verse 24, Anna sent them, then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. And he would go to the cross, bound, wrapped tightly, with nails driven into his hands. But he was bound there and he was confined yet again willingly, out of His love for us. I told you I was going to give you a gift today, didn't I? It's the gift of a shorter sermon. (laughs) I want to ask Shannon and our team if they would make their way up. I want to ask you, if you would, to take a posture of prayer. That could be for many of us it's, Closing our eyes and bowing our heads. For some of you, you don't do that. You just keep looking at me and that's kind of weird. <laughs> hey, if you've got a crush, I get it. If you would really, really, really. Not focus on a man. Consider a message. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And think about its significance. It is significant because everyone who practices sin, that's you and that's me, we're enslaved to it. We're stuck in it. We're a bird in a trap. But we serve a God who according to Galatians 4 in history, in the fullness of time, this man, born of this virgin, lived for us. He entered in. And all the prophecies were fulfilled in great detail and accuracy. And clues and hints were dropped all along the way that we serve a God who takes on human limitations Who cares about our boundedness and where we get stuck? The restriction of your life today. If it's a stifling job where your gifts are not being used, or a broken family where you just can't extract yourself from the pain emotionally or whatever way. Or if it's that past choice that chokes and binds you, the consequences still. Have you stuck? If it's this addiction, this battle that you lose time and time again, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Would you stand with me?